and welcome to this week's episode of Educated Spending. I'm your host, Katie Rourke, and I'm joined this week by Robin Beauchamp, the Director of Co-ops and Careers at Wentworth Institute of Technology. We talk about salary negotiation and some tips for how to do that. Hi, this is Robin Beauchamp, Director of the Center for Cooperative Education and Career Development at Wentworth Institute of Technology. On campus, we're easily known as Co-ops and Careers. So we're going to talk today about salary negotiation. I'm hoping, I'm actually excited to talk about this topic because it's something that I don't know a lot about. So I'm hoping you can talk us through when and how um, people should try to negotiate a salary and kind of go through, go through all of it. Certainly. Um, do you, would you have any specific questions, Katie, you want me to start with or... Um... So I guess my first question just overall is, is there a time, should you always plan to negotiate a salary or is there a time when you feel like you should just accept whatever you're, you've been offered? Yes, the answer is yes, you should always negotiate. And it's actually almost expected that you do. Mm-hmm. I've been on the hiring side. Um, I started my, well, I've had numerous careers before I got into higher ed and one of them it was for um, over a decade in human resources, and I made a, I've made a lot of job offers. And unless, I can tell you, most people don't give you whatever is in their budget right away. They always okay. leave room for negotiation, so it is expected. Um, so you should always be negotiating both at the time of an offer, and then if you have an opportunity, you should always be negotiating salary if you are ever offered a promotion at your work or your job changes, mm-hmm. um, maybe the title doesn't change, but the job changes, um, a salary negotiation is never a one and done. It should okay. always happen. But I want to also make sure that our listeners understand that salary is only one piece mm-hmm. of compensation. And total compensation is made up of a lot of different things. And many times, all of these pieces are negotiable. Okay. There are some instances in which things might not be, but your employer might be able to tell you what is and what isn't. So when I think of total compensation, salary definitely is the first thing that comes to mind, but then you also have to think about health and dental insurance or other medical benefits, your paid time off, whether it be sick time, vacation time, or some people just have a generic paid time off bank. Uh, educational benefits, and this is really important if you're thinking about going back to school, um, whether or not you're working for an organization that has stocks, would you be able to purchase stocks or get stocks as part of a bonus? If you're feeling like um, you're going to have to move, will their moving expenses be paid for? Is there such a thing as flexible time? Is there such a thing as regular work from home? You can negotiate a job title at the time of an offer. Um, Is maternity leave or paternity leave available for you? Are there transportation reimbursement options, um, whether it be in Massachusetts or greater Boston, you know, an MBTA pass or reduced parking, or if you're lucky enough, a company car. Um, If you needed housing, is there subsidies? Um, And then the other thing that is really, I think, one of the most negotiable is your professional development dollars that are available to you. And in terms of negotiating any or all of these things, would you recommend at the time of the offer when you're speaking with whoever is presenting that job offer, going through 
what you would like or what your options are or when when do, when is the time to kind of bring bring this up salary negotiation happens at the time of an offer and not before okay, okay. Um, you may be asked what your salary expectations are at the time you may be invited in for an interview or at mm -hmm. the first interview. Mm -hmm. I think it's always a good idea to try to deflect and not answer those questions okay. and possibly try to get them to tell you what the salary range is. Massachusetts in 2018 or maybe 2019 passed a law that said um, asking salary history is no longer illegal. So if you get a job application that actually has those boxes of what your previous salaries were, you should leave them blank. And if you're not able to leave them blank, just put in a zero or not applicable or something like that. And, but if anybody asks you that verbally and they're mad that my salary will be commiserate with my education and my experience. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one that's way advice. to get around that. Yeah. But, um, so you can say that again at the, when you're first asked for an interview. I mean, again, I've been on the HR side. I ask that question all the time because I want to make sure that we're close because I don't want to bring somebody in whose salary expectations are unattainable for us. That's just wasting everybody's time. I tend to, as an employer, tell people right up front, these are our salary ranges. Are you able to accept an offer if I were to make you a job offer in this salary range? And I try to keep the salary range kind of tight. So they don't think it's like this wildly $20,000 range when I know what my top of my budget might be. Um, but not everybody is as transparent as that. So again, if, if you can get them to tell you what the range is, so you're not wasting your time, that's a really good thing. Um, but before you do that, there's so much research you have to do before you decide what your salary range might be. Um, so let me talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. So there's different ways in which people get paid. You know, some people have heard the terms exempt and non-exempt, mm -hmm. but maybe they don't know what they're exempt from. So <laughs> it's actually you're exempt from overtime. Okay. So a salaried employee is exempt from overtime pay, which means you're paid the same amount of dollars regardless of how many hours a week you work if you're full-time. So, you know, maybe your base is 35 hours a week or 40 hours a week, as long as you hit your minimum. But if you're working 50 or 60 hours a week, you're generally not getting paid any extra money. However, if you're an hourly paid person in the state of Massachusetts, the federal law states that you're paid for 40 hours a week straight time and anything over 40 is overtime in which you have to be paid one and a half times your salary. It's also called time and a half. So a really easy example of this, if you're making $10 an hour and you work uh, 45 hours, you'll be paid 10 hours, $10 an hour for your first 40 and then $15 for your extra five hours. Um, usually, and an employer cannot dictate willy-nilly who's exempt and who's non-exempt. There's something called the Fair Labor Standards Act mm -hmm. that the government has put together like um, a certain number of prongs that if you meet, you have to be hourly paid or, or, or salaried. So typically it has to do with your level of responsibility 
if you're supervising people or supervising budgets, your level of decision making, whether or not you can make decisions independently, how complex the decisions are. So that's really what the difference is between exempt and non-exempt. Okay. Um, so as our students are interviewing for their first full-time post-graduation job, mm -hmm. they should be asking those questions. Is this a salaried position or is this an hourly position? Mm -hmm. If I continuously work over 40 hours a week and I am salaried, are there opportunities for me to take back time um, or to receive bonuses? And, and another great question is, how many hours a week is normal for this position for someone who, once they're past training, once they're over their uh, onboarding period, how many hours a week is realistic that I'd be working? Mm -hmm. um, and again, ask about bonuses, even if, even if you're not always working over 40 hours a week, because we certainly don't want people to do that on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. But some people are eligible for bonuses if they hit certain criteria. If it's a sales position, maybe you have to earn a certain amount of sales before you know you get a bonus or if you i don't know there's so many different scenarios in which somebody can get uh, a bonus and then again if the company is publicly traded meaning that there are stocks are there stock options is there profit sharing um so all of that has to do with pay and salary anything that's monetized like that mm -hmm. um we really want our students to look at and then as far as the rest of the benefits or the, I'm sorry, uh, pay, mm -hmm. typically what we see is, um, yeah, I guess it's about 70% of total compensation is salary. And the other 30% comes to you in other ways. So it could be that bonus. It could be contributions that the employer is making to your retirement plan. And it could be other insurances that you will see on your pay stub, you'll see an employee contribution, which means what comes out of your paycheck, mm -hmm. an employer contribution. So in Massachusetts, we are lucky enough to live in an area, especially the greater Boston area, we have the best health care almost in the entire country, right in the greater Boston area at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. So typically our health insurance is a lot more expensive here because we have to pay those premiums. Um, so, and the employer often bears the brunt of that. So employers will say, we're gonna pay 50% of your health insurance, you pay the other 50%. Or it could be a much more generous than that. I've actually worked in some organizations where they pay 100% of the health insurance premium, which is pretty much unheard of nowadays. Yeah. So the more they pay, obviously, the less you have to pay. So those are other things that as an employee, you're gonna to wanna to look at. Now, those are not questions I would ask in an interview. Those are typically readily available on an employer's website. If you go to their human resources pages and you look at their benefits, they will often tell you what a contribution is that you would make for either an individual coverage or family coverage. Some companies offer something called individual plus one, um, which would generally be the individual and and their spouse or if they only have one child because the family coverage typically covers you and a spouse and whether you have one child or 20 children it's the same price mm -hmm. so some companies have done this employee plus one to recognize that not everybody has a plethora of children um, 
So yeah, there are definitely things that you can research on your own that you should be finding on your own and not necessarily asking about at an interview or an offer. But if you wanted to negotiate, usually health insurance and dental insurance are not uh, negotiable as far as the amount of money that somebody puts in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's waiting periods that people need to fulfill, like uh, 60 days on the job. Um, sometimes those are negotiable, but I don't think they're often negotiable. The things on the list that I do think are negotiable are the sick and vacation time, okay. um, educational benefits, stock options, moving expenses, flex time, telecommuting, job title, um, transportation, and as I mentioned before, professional development. So as I mentioned, before you even start thinking about negotiating a salary, um, let me go back to benefits a little bit, okay? I know I'm spending a lot of time there, but again, it is about 33% of total compensation. Yeah. So as you're looking, especially if you're moving, and if you already have like doctors that you love, you want to find out if they're going to be in your network. And if they're not in your network, well, you have to pay a lot of money to see them. So you need to do some research on the types of insurance plans that are being offered. Figure out what are going to be your out-of-pocket expenses. Um, how good are the benefits? You know, people think, oh, I have Blue Cross Blue Shield, therefore I have excellent coverage. Well, Blue Cross Blue Shield is an excellent healthcare provider health insurance provider but the reality is they have hundreds of different insurance products that they sell so it really depends on what your employer has purchased to be the insurance coverage so don't assume because you have a great name brand that you have great coverage because some people will do something called like the cadillac version which covers everything and some other employer may only cover you if you have a catastrophic illness and they have deductibles, which means we're not going to pay any money until you spend $1,000 a year out of your pocket. Once you spend $1,000, we'll start providing coverage. So lots of different scenarios about health and dental insurance and eye coverage and prescription coverage. So those are the kinds of things that you want to ask about. Not everybody offers dental insurance. Not everybody offers optics. If you wear glasses or contact lenses, you know how expensive those can be. So you want to do find out if they do offer them. And if they do, again, how much are you paying versus how much are they paying? Regarding time off, as I mentioned, some organizations offer a certain amount of days of sick time, a certain amount of days of vacation time. Um, so you want to find out how much they offer. How do you earn it? Do you earn it up front and then you get to just go through it over the year? Or do you only get a certain number of hours accrued, meaning earned, per day, or per week, or per month? Some companies say if you don't take all your vacation time by a certain date, you're going to lose it, we're done. Or you can roll it over, or you can only roll over a certain number of days or hours. So again, those are all things that you want to find out. And the other thing you want to find out about vacation time, some companies will pay you dollar for dollar for all your unused vacation time. Some companies won't pay you dollar for dollars. They'll pay you 50 cents on the dollar, 25 cents on the dollar. So those are things that you want to find out. Sick time is also similar. Um, very few companies that I know of pay you for unused sick time. I've actually seen companies give you benefits if you don't use all your sick time. Yeah. 
um, they'll convert it into vacation time. And then I've been in other companies where they get rid of that whole terminology of sick and vacation time and they create a paid time off bank, which is often abbreviated as PTO for paid time off. And they say, listen, don't tell us as your employer, we don't really care if you're taking sick time or vacation time. You just get this time, you use it any way you want to. But of course, as most supervisors do want you to probably give them as much notice as possible. Obviously, with, when you're sick, you can't do that, but mm -hmm. vacation and things like that. And it's yours to use any way you'd like to. So different companies do different things. Some companies also offer other paid days off like bereavement, um, jury duty, military duty. So if those things are important to you, you want to figure that out as well. Retirement, even though it's awfully hard for a 22-year-old to think about, it's really never too early to start planning for retirement. Mm -hmm. um, I have seen some really bizarre statistics that say if you start putting in $2,000 a year when you're 20 and do that every year for 10 years and stop and never put in another dollar with compounding interest and contributions and the way the market works, you can have a million dollars by the time you're ready to retire. But if you start anytime after you're 20, mm -hmm. you'll spend your lifetime trying to catch up. So if you have an opportunity to start saving for retirement, do it as soon as you can. Oftentimes an employer will put in some kind of a contribution as well. And again, I've seen everything from an employer will say, I'll put in a dollar for every dollar you put in. I'll put in 50 cents for every dollar you put in. And then there are some employers that say, you don't put in anything and I'll put in a dollar. Mm -hmm. So um, it's wild, wildly different. There are some companies that have a waiting period, meaning we're not going to start putting any money in for you until you've been with us for one year or two years or three years, and then we'll start putting money in. Or the other place is, we'll start putting money in right away, but you can't touch this money until you're vested, which means it is yours. Um, vested means after I've been here a certain amount of time, all the money my employer puts in is mine. That would be 100% vested. Some companies will say, you know, we do vesting on a scale. Like after you're here for one year, you can have access to 25% of the money that the company puts in. So there are vesting schedules that, that employees might want to look at as well if they're thinking that they're not going to be at that employer for a long time. And then tuition. Uh, you know, a lot of our students are graduating with their bachelor's degree. They may at one point want to get a master's degree. So there are companies that will pay for that for you. So you want to find out if they have tuition benefits. And if they are, what are they covered? Does the, does the studying have to be related to the work that you're currently doing or the work that you aspire to do for that company? I mean, if you go in and you take a job and you say, I really want to do something that's vastly different than what this company does, will they pay for you to get that kind of education? And then you want to find out, what are they doing? Are they paying a certain dollar amount per year or per semester? Or are they saying you can take one class a semester or two classes a semester? If they're saying they're going to pay for a certain number of classes a semester, then you can pretty much go anywhere and not worry about the cost. But if they're saying, I'm only going to pay X number of dollars a year, then you probably have to shop around to find out where you're going to get the best bang for that buck. You know, it might be cheaper for you to go to one school versus another school. So you've got to really look at the tuition costs. 
in graduate level, tuition sometimes can be taxable income to you as well. So you want to find out at what point are you responsible for the taxes on the tuition dollars that the employer paid for you. Some employers also will only reimburse you based on the grades you get. You know, if you get an A, we'll give you 100% back. If you get a B, we'll give you 75% back. If you get a C, we'll get a 50% back, which means now you have to share your grades with your employer. So I don't know how anybody feels about that, but I don't know if I'd want that to happen. Um, and then again, is there a waiting period? Like, do you get those tuition benefits right away or do you have to be working for a certain amount of time? So before you start looking at salaries, you've got to look at all of that too, because as you can see, some of this can be extremely rich, you know, way beyond 33% of your salary. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily think about in, when you're talking about salary negotiation, but those things can add up so quickly especially if a company is you know, giving you some sort of match for retirement, that, that is additional money in your pocket. Absolutely. So, so it's really important to look at all those different factors and take that into the consideration of the full picture. Right. And, and if then, you say no to that, you're leaving money on the table. Right. Like, it's just like, no, thank you. I don't need that extra money from you. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes people will focus on the dollar amount in terms of whatever the salary they're offered, if they maybe have gotten two job offers and wouldn't even look into the, how the benefits might actually make the one with the lower salary more beneficial in the exactly. long run. Well, I just think about Boston and if you have to drive in, mm -hmm. I mean, working at Wentworth, we have a really very nice uh, parking. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not horrible, but I've worked in other companies in Boston. They don't even subsidize parking and you could be spending 40, $50 a day parking mm -hmm. without any help from your employer. So, so my next question is, I think something that can be really overwhelming when you're going into this process is where do you even begin if you haven't been given a salary range to know kind of your worth or the salaries within the position that you're going for? So what's your advice for researching that and, and figuring out those different factors? That's a great question because so many people are asked what's your salary requirements and they they think of, okay, this is how much money I need to live based on my rent, my car, my student loans, all of that. Mm -hmm. Creating a budget for yourself is perfect, but you've got to understand your salary requirements, how much you pay for rent has nothing to do with how much a job pays. How much a job pays is based on the duties and responsibilities and the education of the job, plus most companies have uh, compensation analysts within their human resources department that actually do salary surveys of their competition in cities similar to where the job resides to find out what the marketplace is paying for that job. Mm -hmm. So people try to have standardized job titles to make this compensation analysis easier. Um, so I just really, really can't drive that point home more than saying it has nothing to do with your expenses. It has to do with what the market will bear. So great places to research pay. I'm going to give you four different um, websites that you can look them up. And I would use all four and see how close they are or different they are. Okay. Mm -hmm. So payscale.com, salary.com, 
salaryexpert.com and glassdoor.com. And usually the way these things work is you put in the job title, and this again is why sometimes the standardization of titles is good, but it's sometimes you're gonna find a job title that, or you're gonna be offered something that you can't find. So what you'll need to do is put in something that sounds like what you're being offered and read the job description that comes up on those websites to see how closely that job title sounds to the job that you're being offered. Look at the industry. You know, healthcare is a terrific industry, but if you're working in a hospital, you're technically working for a nonprofit. Your pay may be different than if you were working doing a similar type of research job for a pharmaceutical company, which is definitely not nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So you need to take that into consideration. Obviously, you need to take consideration the location. Boston-based jobs are going to pay more than Boise, Idaho-based jobs. So look at that. Then look at what kind of years of experience they're saying that they need to do the job. And what is the skill level? Are they saying beginner, intermediate, advanced? So you need to understand all that about the job you're being offered so you can do an appropriate research on those four websites. Once you've done all of the research, you might be able to figure out what that salary range is off of the four websites. And then the real trick at that point is you've got to figure out where do you fit in that range. And these ranges, again, can be vast. You know, $20,000 is a huge range. So a really good way to do this is let's make believe it's one of our students, right? And they're graduating with their bachelor's degree. And they have done their two required co-ops and an optional co-op. At four months each, that is 12 months or one year of directly related experience. So their bachelor's degree plus one. So if you're looking at a job and it says a bachelor's degree and zero to two years of experience, and your salary range again for an ease is like between $10 and $30, and our student has zero in one year and the range is zero to two years, they're really right in the middle. Mm -hmm. So maybe that student can position themselves to ask for the midpoint of that salary range. Okay. If they have more than what they're asking for or closer to the top, you can certainly ask for the top. But I'd be very careful to take a job that you're at the top of what they're looking for because you may be bored quickly, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, any kind of job that you take, you should probably be positioning yourself that you can grow at least, you know, 60% of the job. So you have some growth built in. If you know 100% of the job, again, you might be bored. And I have to say, and this is, uh, there's data that shows that women will only apply for a job if they are 100% qualified. Mm -hmm. Men will apply for a job if they're about 70% qualified. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure our female identified listeners apply for the jobs in which they feel like they're at least 40 to 50% qualified. Because as a job candidate, it's not our job to eliminate us. That's the human resources job to do. If you think you can do the job and you can grow into it, you should definitely go for it. Mm -hmm. That's such good advice because I've even seen that with, you know, friends and, and peers. We self-select. We, we do. We choose that we're not good enough or there's someone better out there and, and we don't go for it. Right. And, I and think, women, again, are also not good at negotiating salary. 
Yeah. Well, the data shows that. <laughs> that's a totally different workshop I can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think in some ways women have this like underlying feeling that we should be grateful for whatever we've been given rather than asking for more. Um, so we need to get rid of that. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, it's really a great thing to say because you know what, Katie, if somebody's offered you the job, they've already determined that you're qualified. Mm -hmm. We don't have to second guess ourselves. So once you've gotten that job offer, now it's time to really put aside all the self-doubt, mm -hmm. put aside that, oh, I'm so grateful that you like me. Thank you for bringing me on. I'll take anything you offer me. Yeah. And really, again, go back to your research, see how you stack up against what the job description says are the minimum qualifications and then start negotiating. Mm -hmm. So um, it is really important that um, we have a salary range that's acceptable to us, you know, between 10 and 15% of what we think, you know, we should be able to go higher, as high as that about the salary. Mm -hmm. But um, yes, we have to stop being grateful. The first step toward any successful negotiation is making a decision and negotiate in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, um, and as I mentioned, most companies are expecting you to negotiate and when they make you an offer, leave a little bit on the table for that negotiation. Mm -hmm. So again, you've got to enter into that negotiation. You've got to understand your worth by doing that research. And one of the things that is really awkward, especially I, I feel this myself when I'm sitting down is, you know, once you start negotiation, you have to learn to be very comfortable with awkward silences. Mm -hmm. You know, once you start putting it out there, what your salary hope is or what you really want, we've got to just learn to be quiet and let that person consider what you're saying, let them think and don't try to keep talking and to convince them into it. If you need to ask a question, go ahead and ask it and then clam up and give that person the other chance to respond um, you've got to not let that discomfort push you into giving up and walking mm -hmm. away. Um, so if you come in with that hard data about what the market salaries are uh, from those four dot coms again, and again, it was salary, pay scale, glass door, and salary expert. Mm -hmm. And one other place you can also look at is a trade association. Most of our students are, um, there are actually trade um, professional associations aligned with most of our majors. Like there's the American Institute of Architects, AIA, and there's a student chapter, AIAS. Our students should be able to go out to AIA and find out what the salary ranges are for a first year architect based either on a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. The other thing though, and this goes back to setting a budget, you know, you can't take a job necessarily that you can't afford to do unless you're willing to have a second job or a third job to do it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to know what your budget needs are, but what the market will pay for that job. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to set a walkaway point for yourself. If you know that you definitely need X number of dollars and you know the job pays in that range, but they're coming in under that and you can't negotiate any further, you've got to know what your walking away point is, but don't disclose that. If you can keep it to yourself, keep it to yourself so they don't just try to only 
lowball you. I will say again, having an HR background, I don't know very many companies that try to lowball people and, and save money because they know that there are people that they talk about salary and you don't want a disgruntled employee because they learn that the person sitting next to them doing the exact same job with pretty similar work experience and work history is getting paid you know, more than they do because that's just not worth the money to any company. So most companies, I would say, and maybe I've rose-colored glasses on, do want to pay people equitably and fairly. So a few other things I want people to really consider besides salary, which is important in the total compensation, is who is the organization and how do they fit and align with your values, mm -hmm. if that's important to you. Not everybody, it's not that important. Some people, well, their value system could be they just want to make a lot of money and get out. You know, I've seen some students back when I worked at another school, when we had a finance and accounting, wanted to go to Wall Street and they didn't care what it took to get there and they didn't care what it took to stay there because in their mind, that was where they were going to make their most amount of money and they had plans to walk away after five or 10 years. So they could put up with just about anything. But then there are some people that really feel like, oh, I don't want to work for a company that is doing things that I don't I don't agree with. Like um, quite a few years ago, there was a tire company that was knowingly producing defective tires that were causing cars to have bad accidents and people were getting injured if not killed. So, and they were knowingly doing this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody's going to have to make a decision about whether or not they want to be working for an organization like that. So there's no right or wrong to this. Everybody needs to figure out where they fit. Um, and how they feel like they're being treated. I've worked for some companies where, and uh, this is when I was in human resources at one company, when unemployment was really low, but the demand for new employees was really high. And the boss used to just walk around saying, I don't care who you hire, just get me more warm bodies. And they treated everybody like they were just a warm body, like nobody was a person, they were all expendable. So it was not a very good place. It did not align with my values. I could not stay there. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also have to think about, and you wouldn't know this, Glassdoor does a pretty good job of collecting reviews from prior and current employees. Just know, take it with a grain of salt. Most people that go on Glassdoor either love their company or hate their company. So you don't get very many um, middle of the road kind of reviews. But you can learn a little bit about management in, in your colleagues. You know, are people taking credit for your work? Are they are is are people listening to feedback? Um, so take a peek at that. But again, remember, take it with a grain of salt as well. Sometimes the best way to learn about the inside of a company is well, our co-op students learn because they're there for four months and you know, seeing the inside of a company, which is why co-op is so incredibly valuable. But if you haven't had the opportunity to work at the company before they make you an offer, try to, try to meet alumni on LinkedIn who work for that company or who have worked for that company mm -hmm. and ask those kinds of questions about the work environment. Are you going to be successful there? Are you going to be supported? Are you going to um, feel like you belong? So, you know, other things to consider are, you know, the growth potential for that company. Are you going to have promotional opportunities or is this kind of a dead end? Um, how are you going to gain skills and knowledge? Are they going to provide you with professional development? Meaning, are they going to let you go away to go to a conference once we can do in-person ones or do virtual workshops or webinars? 
Again, what's the reputation of the company? What's the job security like? You know, most companies are cyclical. Um, there are some places right now during COVID where, you know, layoffs are are going on. I mean, hospitality, airport, airlines, you know, you want to know what kind of job security you may or may not have before you make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And then the location, how important is it for you to live within a certain number of miles from your permanent home, your temporary home? Are you looking to move? Will they pay for relocation if you really wanted to go someplace? So, you know, there's a lot to consider. It's not just about salary. And hopefully I've driven that point home today. Yeah, I think that's all really good advice. And it's so easy, especially when it's your first job offer to just jump on an offer because you you got something. And um, I think it's really good to remind people to take that step back and say, you know, is this a company that I w- want to work for? What does my five-year growth projection look like if I go to this company? Is this somewhere that I can stay long-term or somewhere that I'd you know, want to only stay for a short amount of time. And what are you ultimately looking for in a career? You don't have to just take whatever's given to you. You can be a little choosy there and, and make the, the decision that's going to be best for you. If you got one job offer, I can guarantee you're going to get another one. So not Depending just jumping on, the on it. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, right now it's tough. Right now it is hard yeah. because we are, I don't know if we're officially in a recession but the other thing is, too, you've got to understand what your long-term goals are. For some mm-hmm. people, especially people that are making a job change and they need mm-hmm. to just get their foot in the door or gain new skills, mm-hmm. some people are willing to take that job where they can gain those skills. And as you mentioned, maybe in the back of their mind, okay, I'll stay here for six months or a mm-hmm. year, and then I'm going to try to leverage these new skills into something different. So, you know, if there's nothing else to take away from today, you know, everything has its price. The process is subjective and, and there's no true right or wrong. People have to learn to listen to themselves and what's important to them. Um, yeah, because again, it goes back to that value system. I remember working at one college where all the seniors had a competition and the person who had the highest exiting salary from a job offer at graduation was deemed the winner. And I can tell you one year that winner came back to the career services office and he was miserable in his job. He's like, they're paying me a lot of money and I hate every day of my life. And he made the decision to give up the highest paying job of his class and recalibrate into something that he loved that paid less money. So it is all subjective and Mm -hmm. we have to learn to trust ourselves and our instincts and and yeah, get advice from people that are experts or, or, or your parents, and sometimes they're the expert, mm-hmm. or somebody who really knows you well and is looking out for your best interest. Maybe that's not a parent. It could be anybody else. But mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I think this was super helpful for anyone at, at any point in their career. Um, this was really, really good advice. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Katie, for inviting me. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to send us a question, you can DM us on Instagram at leopard underscore sense, or you can send me an email directly at Rourke, my last name, R-O-A-R-K, my first initial K, at wit.edu, Rourke, K, at wit.edu. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks. See you next week.